our uh, usual members, regular members here. We are excited to have you this morning. Glad that, glad that you're with us. Uh, I do want to mention Sister Mary Waits is over here, and it's good to see you back, Miss Mary. Uh, I, don't, I hope you're feeling better. I know that was a, not an easy procedure, uh, and uh, hopefully you'll get over it faster than my father-in-law's gotten over it. So it looks like you're doing real well. So we're glad to have you with us this morning. Um, and uh, so that's good. I know Brother Bill Sanders is going in, I think, for some treatment this week. So we need to keep him in our prayers. I don't see him in here that, yet this morning, but uh, keep him in your prayers this week as he goes in for that treatment. We've got several others, obviously, that are on our announcements in the sheets, uh, the uh, bulletin this week. So please look at those updates. Uh, I would mention this one as well as we're beginning this morning. Uh, for those of you who know uh, Justin and Cassie Boyd, uh, Justin and Cassie had their little baby boy last week on the 18th. Uh, he was born and he has a touch of pneumonia. And so he's actually still in NICU over in Baptist East. So please keep them in your prayers and uh, please uh, remember them as we uh, have our prayers, uh, our daily prayers. And I can honestly tell you as I look at the picture, and there's actually a picture on the announcements I put on there that Cassie had posted on Facebook of him and he's got the tubes. He's on the CPAP anymore, which is good, but uh, it brings back memories, Carol, of the way Marley was, because that's exactly what happened to Marley. She was born a little bit early and ended up having pneumonia, and she was on that same stuff in the NICU for about 10 days, and it's not easy leaving that hospital without your baby, and, uh, but they did this last week, and uh, so y'all just keep them in your prayers. Anybody else, any other announcements or updates we need to keep in mind? Okay, well, let's start off class with a, a prayer this morning, uh, and uh, if any of you all need handouts, please let us know. They're, I think they're finishing up. Tommy got this side. Thank you, sir. Brother Wayne's finishing up over here. Let's go ahead and start off with a prayer this morning. Would you please bow with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We're grateful to have another day that we can gather together on this first day of the week. We can open up your word. We can study from it. And Lord, we are so mindful of those who are sick, who have been dealing with sicknesses, that are dealing with treatments, that are undergoing evaluation. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful Sister Waits is here this morning and that she's able to be back with us. God, thank you for uh, allowing her to regain her, some of her health. And Lord, please be with her and bless her as she continues to recuperate from her surgery. And may things continue to progress well. Lord, we ask you to be with those that are in the hospitals now, especially we ask you to be with little Jackson Boyd as he's in the hospital in NICU and Baptist East. Lord, please be with him. Please be with Justin and Cassie as they deal with not having their baby boy at home and as they uh, are very prayerful every day that he recovers and that he is able to be treated uh, right there. Be with the nurses and doctors that attend to him. Lord, we ask that you... Be with all those among us, especially that are going to be in the hospital for treatments and evaluation the next week. We ask you to be with Brother Bill as he's going in, and, and we ask that you be with uh, Miss Johnson as Virginia goes in for uh, tests on Tuesday. And, and Lord, we ask you to be with uh, all the many others that are undergoing, or May Falk, who's going to go in treatments as well for cancer. Lord, we ask you to please be with all of them. Help uh, give them strength, give them comfort, and let them know that we are thinking and praying for them as they undergo treatments and, and these evaluations. Lord, help us to do what we can to reach out and be there for our brothers and sisters. Lord, more than anything, we are thankful for your son, Jesus. We know without him that we would not have a chance for eternal life, and without him we would not be able to speak to you today. And Lord, we are so thankful that we have him, that we have his blood that cleanses us from our sins. God, as we continue our study, and as we uh, explore some of these questions we have about you, may we 
uh, continually look to your word for answers. May we look for guidance from those things which you have inspired for us to, to know and to understand. And Lord, may we take these things and, and build up our faith and, and encourage us in our lives. We thank you most of all for Jesus, and it's through his name we pray. Amen. Third lesson is exploring the question to God of how does God communicate with me? And I think a lot of times we are curious, well, well, let's just be honest, a lot of times we want an answer. (laughs) We want answers. Uh, I remember thinking about Job, and we talked about Job as we talked about the first lesson, or should we even question God? And as you look at Job and you see the life that he lived, chapter after chapter and verse after verse in the book of Job, you see Job questioning God. It's really what you see. And, jo- and God really doesn't even answer him until about Job chapter 38, when he finally says, all right, I've had enough. <laughs> Here's your answers, Job. And the answers weren't exactly what Job wanted. But it was enough for him to understand that God's the one with the authority. God's the one with the power. He's the one that should be respected, should be revered. He's the one that should be loved. Don't question who God is or even how God acts. But know that God is. And it kind of reminds me of a story. There's the man who experienced that he was in the middle of a massive flood in his town. And he, he got up on top of his rooftop because that's about the only place that was left for him to try and survive the flooding waters that had ri- risen up on, around his house. And, and he's standing on top of his, his, his roof and he's praying to God, God, please save me. God, please help me. And all of a sudden, a little John boat, a little motorboat comes by with some people from the neighborhood they had gotten on this boat. And, and they said, hey, jump in the boat, jump in the boat. He said, no, no, I, I'm praying to God. God's going to answer my prayer. He's going he's to tell me what I need to do. Y- y'all just go on without me. God's going to take care of me, all right? And, and all of a sudden, you know, about another hour later, he's still praying to God. He, he's asking God, God, save me. God, be with me. God, help me. And there's a helicopter that comes by and drops a ladder and says, climb on, grab onto the ladder. We're going we're gonna to take you to safety. And the man goes, that's okay, that's all right. God's going to take care of me. God's going to watch over me. I've been praying to God. I know he's going to be there for me. And little does he realize, as the floodwaters keep creeping up, uh, that he drowns. He gets before God there, and he, he, say, he says, God, where were you? I prayed for you. I, I knew you were coming. Where were you? And God said, I sent a boat after you. I sent a helicopter after you. I didn't know what else I could do. The man just didn't understand the communication from God, did he? <laughs> and unfortunately, he perished because of it. You know, that's a silly story when you think about it. But a lot of times we want answers. We want to know, God, what are we supposed to do right now? I remember when Monica and I experienced the same thing that Justin and Cassie are experiencing with our baby girl. When, she, when Marley was born and was in the hospital for 10 days and had this big old CPAP machine around her. And she's in this little incubator. And some of those pictures just want just to break your heart. We didn't know what to do, and there really wasn't anything that we could do. We didn't know if it was going to get bad enough where Marley would possibly die because she was dealing with pneumonia. She was a small child, you know, and, you know, we were fearful. We were scared, and we really wanted answers from God. And it's not that God miraculously came out of the clouds and and said, well, John and Monica, everything will be fine. He didn't do that, even though we may want it. I, I think back to... Situations where loved ones are, are people who we care for deeply or um, their health is in danger. 
And we want to reach out and we want to ask God, God, will they survive? Will they make it? And we want an answer from God. And sometimes we get discouraged because we don't have that immediate reaction from our God. How does God communicate with me? I think that's a great question for us to kind of ask ourselves today as we explore questions about who God is, what He does, how He responds, how He acts in our lives, because that's really, if you think about it, the essence of a good relationship, right? Communication. Uh, I remember before getting married, Monica and I went through premarital counseling like many, many do. And uh, like Elby, you can probably think about this as well. As, as you have counseled people in the past, you, you, one of the things, you got to communicate. I remember that beat in my head. That communication was the key to any type of relationship. And I'm sure a lot of us have heard of that as we've gone through any type of premarital or even, I guess, postmarital counseling that we may need. Um, communication is key. And communication takes two parties, does it not? It does. I mean, I could talk to him blue in the face to a brick wall, but that's not going to increase my relationship with that brick wall, except I may hate the brick wall, I guess, because they're not talking to me. It's not going to help my relationship. So same thing with God. If, if we're going to have a good relationship with God, first of all, it takes effort on our part. Second of all, we've got to understand how does God communicate back to me? Because if not, we're going to start questioning. We're going to start being bothered because we're going to think God is not listening to me. We're going to think God is not giving us any kind of insight. God is not giving us any kind of answers in our lives. And so I think we've got to be cautious about those things. Um, communication is key. Communication is important. Think about this real quickly as we look at, at this lesson here. Back in the Old Testament, well, my remote's not working. Back in the Old Testament, uh, how did God communicate with those in the Old Testament? He did. Now, my PowerPoint is not working at all. So, yeah, I mean, y'all got your handouts there. You're going to be able to kind of see. And I'll tell you, I, I cheated because I pretty much copied a great article by Eric Lyons. All right, Eric's a good friend of mine. He spoke last week in VBS here. And, and on the left side there, he, he did an article called Hearing God in the 21st Century. And, and what you see in that article is really an outline of what we're going to talk about in class this morning. And so I just copied it verbatim and gave him the credit there for that. You're right, Carol. One of the ways that he talked to those in the Old Testament was directly talking to them, telling them verbally, with direct communication, what they should do. I mean, you think back. The very first people in this world, Adam and Eve. How did God talk to them? Directly. Directly. In fact, it talks about the fact that, that he was with them, that he was uh, walked among them in the garden, that he, uh, was, uh, that he talked with them and told them directly the commands that they were supposed to do and, and the things they were supposed to be doing and, and things they weren't supposed to be doing. <laughs> Don't forget that one. Uh, he directly said, do not eat of this tree over here. That wasn't some illusion. That was not necessarily some, uh, uh, you know, ambiguous concept, God specifically talked to them and told them not to eat of that tree. They did it anyways. But in the Old Testament, we see that he directly talks to Adam and Eve. There's also instances there where centuries later, he talked to Abram uh, and, and then Jacob and Moses. We see those examples. We've gone over those before previously as we talked about a few of these things. But, but as God talks directly to them in the Old Testament, we see that relationship build. We see how important that was to them. Abram, of course, was first approached by God and said, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave. I want you to go to a land that I have not even explained or told you. I just want you to go. And I'm going to create a great 
people, a great nation from you, he tells Abram. Uh, Jacob, Genesis 31, of course, he talks to, to Jacob directly. Uh, they're influencing Jacob's life. He spoke directly to him uh, in a dream there. Uh, we see in, in Moses, we talked about this before as in our first lesson about questioning God because that's exactly what Moses does in Exodus 3 and 4. But in Exodus 3 and 4, God speaks directly to Moses from that burning bush, gives him direct commands, gives him direct teaching, direct principles to be able to apply as he goes and leads the people out of Israel. Uh, God spoke directly to them. You think also in Old Testament, I'm not sure anybody else uh, said this a moment ago, but God also spoke through his messengers, his angels. Just to let you know a little bit of a word study, when the word angels is used in the Bible, it, it, it may not always be the little winged creatures that we see portrayed uh, in this world today, but the word literally means messenger. And so you just think of that concept every time you see the word angel in the Bible. And so you're gonna, that's going to create a whole new mindset with regard to the importance of these uh, people. Uh, not really people, these beings, these spiritual beings uh, named angels. You think over in Luke chapter 1, uh, an angel approached Zacharias there and informed him of who was going to be born to them, that being John the Baptist, you see, in Luke chapter 1. You see other appearances of angels bring uh, direct messages from God to Mary and also to Joseph. And there's other examples as well. I'm not going to list them uh, to infant uh, explanation here. But in the Old Testament, obviously, you see him speaking personally, to individuals, directly to individuals, through his other spiritual servants, his spiritual messengers being the angels uh, there. And you also see another thing is, is that God sometimes uh, speaks to individuals in the Bible, it says, through heavenly visions even. Think about Paul, who was Saul at the time, over in Acts chapter 9, of course, he's on the way to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, it says there, and he describes it in Acts chapter 26 as a heavenly vision that fell upon him. Where within that vision, the Lord spoke out to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You know, so you have heavenly visions of God directly speaking, talking to us here on this earth. Now, What's interesting, as you, you look at these situations and those examples here, it leads us really to our first point in this lesson. How does God communicate with me? Well, first and foremost, God can speak to, different, or speak to people in different ways. God can. Now, I want you to go back and think about the presuppositions we talked about in our first lesson in this class. One of those was God was all-powerful. Okay? All-powerful. Which means there's no way today you're going to hear me say that God cannot speak to us directly today. Okay? I'm not going to say God cannot. That indicates an idea that he does not have the ability to do so. Uh, that's not what I want to portray, I don't think, or convey to you as we go through this lesson this morning. It's not that God does not have the power. Now, he may choose not to use the power. But God can, and he has in the past spoken to people in different ways. And we've already talked about several of these before, and so I'm not going to reiterate these verses again. And this point, I think, is, is clearly made as we think about the power of God, and God is all-powerful. Since He is all-powerful, that means God can do anything. He can. He has the power, the ability to do anything He wants to do. And we've seen him do things in the past. We have seen him use his power that he has spoken to people directly in the past. So I'm not going to tell you that he can't do that. 
I think as we go through uh, the rest of our lesson, the remaining points of this lesson, I I hope to show you that he chooses not to do that anymore. That's just his choice. That's what he has, his plan for how he speaks to us today. But God can, he has the ability to speak to us in different ways. The the best way I like to put it, the simple way to put it would be the fact that that, um, God has the ability, God can, oh wow, my PowerPoint is not working today. There it is. Just because he can does not mean that he will. And I want you to understand that when we we deal with this first point here of the lesson today. Just because he can does not mean that he will. Can God stop a natural disaster? You better believe he can. He can. Now, when we get to the lesson of why does God let bad things happen to good people, that's going to be some of our conversation probably in that lesson. But God can do anything. God can come down today if he wanted to. And magically, miraculously, supernaturally heal Jackson Boyd so he is perfect as new. He's out of the, 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 the hospital and he's going to be coming home with his mom and dad. He can do those things, but that doesn't mean he, he will do those things. God can heal our loved ones when they're dying of cancer. He can. It doesn't always mean that he will. Now... There's reasoning behind that. And I don't want to get into our conversations about why, why does God let bad things happen to good people. But you've got to understand, God's mind is different than our minds. Our minds are so focused on temporal. Our minds are so focused on the physical. Our minds are sometimes so focused on the emotional that we forget about the spiritual. And see, that's what God's mind is, first and foremost. That anything and above everything is that it is a spiritually minded Mind. Focus on those things which are good for our souls, not necessarily good for our lives. God can speak to people in different ways, but I think what we need to point out here is today what we see is that God speaks to us by his son. Second point, I think it's a very important point. What I want you to do is flip over to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. And I think this speaks volumes to our discussions this morning. Kind of gives us a little bit of insight as to why God focuses on what he focuses on in our lives today. And in Hebrews chapter 1, of course, a Hebrew writer there um, is addressing the comparison of the old way and the new way. I love Hebrews because if you read that book, that's what you're going to consistently see. A comparison of the old and the new. You go over in about chapters 9 and 10, it talks about the old sacrifices of the Old Testament versus the new sacrifices of the New Testament being, of course, Christ compared to the Lamb. Old versus new, old versus new. And look at Hebrews chapter 1 there, the first verses there that we see in Hebrews there of the way God speaks to us. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, in these last days, the days that the writer's talking about, the days which I would argue continue on today, we are still in the last days We can get in a a biblical proof of that if we need to. But in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Old versus new. 
Now, how comforting is that for us to understand? It's not that God doesn't love us. It's not that God doesn't like us as much as he liked Abraham. <laughs> you know, it's not a comparison as though that, that God prefers one or the other. It is God's plan. It is God's strategy, if you want to put it in those words and terms. In the old, he spoke through the prophets. In the new, he speaks through his son. In the old, you have the prophets, you have the patriarchs, you have all those who had to speak on behalf of God. In the new, there's only one that speaks on behalf of God. There's only one. And that's Jesus Christ, His Son. The one prophet, the one Savior, the one Son who came here, and as verse 2 says, whom He is the heir of all things, He's the only heir, and also whom He made all things through. That's who speaks to us. Today. Now, we've got to understand in today's world, God speaks to us by His Son. We've got to listen to Jesus today. Now, think about this. Take Hebrews chapter 1 and flip back over to Matthew chapter 17, verse 15, or verse 5, I'm sorry. Matthew 17, 5, real quick. Before Christ left this earth, in Matthew 17, He's talking there. The trans- well, He's not really talking. God's talking. They're at the transfiguration there, up on the mountain. And, and, and Jesus, of course, verse 1, took Peter, James, and John. They went up to the mountaintop there together. And up on the top of the mountain... There was transfigured before them Moses and Elijah, and then, of course, you've got Jesus that's there with them. So you've got these three that are there pointed, and, of course, you've got to love Peter, Mr. Open Mouth, Insert Foot, which, by the way, I probably uh, assimilate myself more to Peter's mentality than any other apostle probably that there is. That's kind of the problem I get myself into. I'll open my mouth and insert my foot faster than anything, but... Peter, of course, jumps the gun here and there in verse 4. He says, hey, Lord, it is a good thing for us to build a tabernacle for all three of you. Okay, to build a tabernacle. One for Moses, or one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You got to love God's response. Talk about some communication. God said, this is my son. My son. This is my son. Son, God says, hear ye him. Listen to him. God places the emphasis upon Jesus, upon Christ. That's who we are to listen to. Now, John, over in John chapter 12, verse 48, I think, gives us a little bit more for this uh, way of thinking as we, we think about the, the relationship that we have with, with God and the way that he speaks to us today. And, of course, if you look in John, uh, John chapter 12, uh, Jesus there is talking to his uh, disciples and he's, he's trying to explain to them the first part of the chapter there, the fact that he is going to be uh, crucified, that he's going to be uh, going, that he's going to rise again, he's going to be lifted up, verse 34. You keep going down and, and there is the latter part of chapter 12, verse 48. Jesus makes a profound statement there as to how important his word is. His word, Jesus' word. There he says, he who rejects me, Jesus is saying this myself, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word that I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. I didn't speak on my own initiative, verse 49 goes on to say, but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, 
I speak just as the Father has told me. Wow. That's pretty profound. And I think that speaks volumes as to the importance of the things we've got to listen to Jesus today. Of course, that begs the question, how do we listen to Jesus? How do we know Jesus' teachings today? How can we hear or listen to him today? Well, people know Jesus by his words by way of the apostles' teachings. Flip over a couple chapters later, John chapter 17. Of course, Jesus had talked about, you know, those who accept my teachings, those who accept the things that I say will be the ones that will inherit eternal life. John 17, I I love this chapter. It's a prayer by Jesus, really, for his uh, apostles and for us today. Jesus is praying for us. Love it. Soak on the words of John chapter 17, but look with me down in verse 20 through 21. And what you're going to see there is a specific reference to us that he's praying for. Of course, he talks about, hey, you know, Lord uh, God, be with them. They are not of the world there. In the first preceding verses there, verses 13 through 19. Uh, Lord, these disciples, these apostles are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. They're not of the world. Even, uh, you know, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Love that. Verse 17. Your word is truth, God. Your word is truth. Now look down, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see here, Jesus conveys his words to his apostles, to his disciples. Those words, of course, are passed on to those like us today who believe and can be unified with God because we hear the same words and same teachings. That's phenomenal. Now, as you you think about this, we we receive Christ, as I said, by receiving those that he sent. Uh, We are accepting Christ. We are looking to Christ. We are having this revelation of those things which are important for us through the words of Christ, through those teachings of God that are conveyed to us. So we'll be able to provide those things and follow those things in our lives. So first point, of course, God can speak to people in different ways. Number two, today God speaks to us by his son in the world we see today. Number three, though, As we build upon this uh, logic, as we think about how God speaks to us uh, today, how does he communicate to us today? Number three, God speaks by his son through his spirit in the Bible. Now, the words of the Bible are spirit-breathed. I like using that word versus inspired because I think it conveys to us a better concept. Uh, the same word used as uh, inspired over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. If you want to flip there, uh, most of us know that passage. But of course, it says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be uh, adequate, thoroughly equipped Uh, For every good work. Verse 16, that word there, all scripture is inspired. The word inspired, if you do a word study on that, literally means God breathed. God breathed. The original inspiration, revelation of God's word is God breathed. It comes straight from God. It comes straight from God through the spirit, spirit breathed. 
There, as you look at the, uh, the context and the other scriptures that talk about it, look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. I think this is a, a good verse to kind of point to, uh, dealing with the fact that the Spirit in, uh, speaks to us through the Word. In chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, and of course, if you look preceding this, by the way, there's a discussion about Christ being our high priest. And, and there in verse 7 is a quotation, uh, begins a quotation from the Old Testament uh, passages, I believe it's Psalm 95, about, uh, verses 7 through 11 or somewhere in there. Uh, the Holy Spirit says, it says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Look at that, that, that first part though of verse 7. As the Holy Spirit says. The idea of inspiration is that the Spirit breathed the words of God to men, inspiring them, revealing unto them the will of God so that those points, those teachings, those principles could be made. Brother Lund. Yeah, good question. Lon brings up the point here that the verse in, the first, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it does refer, it says, all Scripture is given by God. Now, and Law makes a valid point. What does all Scripture mean? Because at that point in time, the New Testament had not been compiled yet. That's true, Lon. It had not been compiled, but more than likely, almost all of it had been written by that point. So we've got to understand that concept there. Now, uh, I would, what I, my, my statement to that would be, first of all, I think primarily he's referring to the Old Testament. But there is a notification and there is a realization that there's been other inspired writings. If you look, uh, Paul alludes to Peter. Peter alludes to, to possibly some of Paul's uh, inspired writings as being authoritative. And I remember, we, it's probably been over a year ago now, we had a class about uh, how we got our books of the Bible and how we get the canon of scriptures. You look at that timetable with regard to the accumulation of all the books, yes, that didn't happen for, I mean, a long time afterwards. Well, not a long time, but a good time, uh, a bit of time after that happened. They, they, the books weren't all put together. So you're correct with that. But if you look at the time frame about approximately when Timothy or when Second Timothy was written by Paul, more than likely almost the majority, if not, I think Revelation may be one of the exceptions, had not been written yet uh, with regard to the time frame we believe. Because Second Timothy is one of the last epistles uh, that Paul wrote. He was the last that we have recorded uh, with regard to Paul's epistles. So there was a realization there that there were other scriptures. And if you look also... Uh, with regard to that as a side note, even the New Testament books claim to be the words of God. Uh, and so what my, my argument would be with regard to that is primarily it is probably talking about the Old Testament Scripture because that's what they were familiar with. That's what Timothy would have been more familiar with at that time. However, Timothy would have also been familiar with possibly some of the other books because of the way they were circulated among the brethren. Uh, the authoritative nature of those would be the beginning of what their understanding of Scripture was. Scripture equaled authority. And so when you think of Scripture there in the New Testament, uh, it would have been that. But with regard, I don't know if I answered your question or not, uh, but I would say all Scripture is inspired by God. That would apply to all Scripture. That statement applies. It is a universal statement. Now, contextually speaking, he may have been more referring, Timothy, to the Old Testament Scriptures being Scriptures. I'm sorry? It's true. Yeah, but they're all, all inspiration will be from God, regardless. Now, we're getting into a discussion of the Godhead almost. Uh, 
the different functions of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, those kind of things, um, which hopefully we'll get into that in another lesson. But I think what you see in, in that scripture is the fact that they are all spirit-breathed. I think I said God-breathed. I meant spirit-breathed, not God-breathed. That word means from the spirit. It comes from a, a, a derivation of the, the word for spirit. Okay. <laughs> Correct. And that's a good point. What, I don't know if you heard them, Lon, or not. George said, what a good point to be made here is, is the verse we just read is John 17, where it was. When, when Jesus is talking to the, his apostles or his disciples there, uh, talking about the fact that I'm not speaking anything but that which was given to me from God. So in essence, God, and again, we're, we may get into some distinguishing differentiation between God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. God gave Jesus the words that he had to speak. Just like in the Old Testament, God gave the words and the instructions to the, the people in the Old Testament. God still gives us the instructions here, but so to speak, they come through a different, I guess, channel in some way. That may be a good way to explain it is the fact that it comes through Jesus, but it's also spirit breathed because as we look at this point here, we get his instructions today through the Bible and the Bible gives us instructions that Jesus gave, but we get those through his spirit who inspired and who helped create, who, who revealed God's commandments through Christ to man so that they could write it down for us. And so that we would know those things. So when we look at this here, the words of God are spirit-breathed. It still means they're the words of God. They're just giving it to us through a, a different way. It's not a direct way anymore. God's not coming to me at night like he did Samuel and, and giving me instructions or commandments of what I'm supposed to be doing. God has breathed through the Spirit those words and revealed them to us and telling each Christian what we're supposed to be doing. To live a godly life. And that's what we see in the Bible. Now the apostles still speak to us today. Flip over Ephesians chapter 3. We may or may not get through this whole lesson. But I'm going to try my hardest. Because I won't be here next week. But Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. When you see this it says. Paul here is explaining to us. I think a little bit about how this works and operates. And the fact that there's still an authoritative nature. Behind the things that they have written. And down for us. The revelation that we have from God today. So for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ. For the sake of you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard. Of the stewardship of God's grace. Which was given to me for you. That by revelation. There was made known to me. The mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this when you read. You can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Now, very interesting there. Again, a comparison, kind of like Hebrews a little bit ago. The fact that there is a difference between the, God, the way God revealed things in the Old Testament versus how he revealed things in the New Testament and there you see that the idea that God has revealed unto Peter, I mean unto Paul, those things which are important, those things which uh, he has, uh, that will allow us to know what God's, I guess, mystery, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of, of, of the incarnation, the mystery of all those things which are paramount 
for a Christian to live his life uh, rightly with God. Uh, so Paul answers us in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, that we can understand the mystery of Christ through the written revelation of men like the apostle. We can understand that God is there for us. We can understand that, you know, in past times, God didn't reveal it to all men. I think that's interesting. You think of the Old Testament uh, structure, the hierarchy, so to speak, of the, the nation of Israel. God really revealed his, his will to who? Patriarchs sometimes, and they would probably convey those things to others. He didn't just give an, a, a huge you know, diatribe or some or, oratory masterpiece to the whole nation of Israel. You can't find one time where he really gave them a whole blanket of commandments to the whole country. In fact, he does it through individuals, through prophets. Moses got up the Ten Commandments, right? There are times when God may chastise them and he would let them know that he was angry, but the the actual instruction came from uh, individuals, prophets, priests. Uh, And so now Paul is saying, hey, this whole mystery is not being revealed just to one group or one type of person or one individual, one leader, one priest, one patriarch. It's actually being revealed to all men. That's what we're doing. I'm conveying it to you so that you will have this knowledge, this ability to understand this mystery of of Christ. We can understand it through the revelation that we have from the inspired men of God. Look, Galatians chapter 1. Flip back to Galatians and you see in chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. Uh, Paul again says, For I would have known, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Christ to Paul and in parallel to all the apostles, all those inspired writers of the, of the, uh, the New Testament, who some weren't apostles actually, they were inspired by God to convey the message to us so that we would have the words that God speaks to us today. Uh, we can understand it by reading the revelation and, and know those things which God says. Now, that brings me to the fourth point. God does, God can speak to us in different ways. Today, God speaks to us by his son. God speaks to us by his son through the spirit in the Bible. And finally, and I think this is a, a very important note to make, is that apart from the Bible, God does not promise to speak in any other way. This kind of goes hand in hand with the first and primary principle or the first point we made this morning. God can do things. It doesn't mean he will do things. And in fact, in God's scriptures and in the inspired word of God, God does not tell us he's going to speak to us in any other way today. And you look at some of the reasoning and the rationale behind some of these things and you'll see uh, first that the Bible says that all truth that was necessary for salvation uh, has been revealed John chapter 16 and verse 13, John 14, verse 26 are are two passages of Scripture that kind of get into the fact that, um, you know, the Bible indicates that all truth was revealed. And and John 16, verse 13, uh, Christ promises apostles that after his departure from them, that they would, the Spirit would come. And verse uh, verse 13 says the Spirit would guide them into all truth. All truth. Not just some, not just a part, not that, hey, I'm going to give you some now, we'll give you some later. The Spirit will guide you into all truth, chapter 16, verse 13. After uh, teaching them to observe all things, uh, 
bringing to remembrance all things is what Jesus said in John 14, verse 26. That Spirit's going to come. We're going to help them understand to be able to have at their disposal, to be able to have for their understanding. The Spirit will have all things to remind His disciples of. Then you go on to see in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, as as Christ, of course, is is ascending, as he's leaving, he commands them to make disciples of all nations. And I love, again, it's a different emphasis. Usually we talk about the teaching aspect, the idea that we're supposed to go out and teach. We're supposed to evangelize. It says there, go teach them, convert them, baptize them. And then the latter part of that is a part I think sometimes we leave out, if you want my honest opinion. But here's what Jesus says. Teaching them to observe all things. Well, obviously, they couldn't teach them to observe all things if they didn't have all things. But that's what he told them to do. All things necessary to salvation and godly living had been conveyed to them. And just like the first century church, we have all we need today. Jude, verse 3, the faith uh, was once for all delivered to the saints there in the first century. They knew everything that was necessary, everything that was needed. You look over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, a, a verse that you all need to probably underscore and underline in your Bibles there as you, you see the principle and the point that Peter wants to make there regarding uh, what Christians have. It says there that Christians have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, do not forsake, do not forget what all means. All is all. And if Christians, according to Peter, had all things necessary for Life and godliness, there was no need for any necessary additional revelation after what was given in the New Testament. That's why it was conveyed to us the way it was conveyed, when it was conveyed, how it was conveyed, because it's all things needed. Now, there, I'm not going to get into, uh, be able to get into a lot of discussion about modern revelation and the questions we have there. You can look at different denominations, different religions. Uh, I re- looked at my Mormon Bible last night. At the beginning, there's an introduction there talking about the Mormon Bible being an additional, a, a new, a, a um, later revelation of the Lord. Uh, the fact that they claim that it's Revelation 1835 or so is when Joseph Smith supposedly got these golden tablets and, and started uh, translating them and conveying them as the Book of Mormon. And you can do some research into that if you'd like. But they claim modern or latter, later in, inspiration and revelation. Uh, other religions like the Catholic Church uh, still claim somewhat modern revelation because of the, the fact that the Pope can, can make law for God. Uh, it's taught, called speaking ex cathedra. It is a fact that he's infallible in the fact that everything he teaches and proclaims when he's speaking ex cathedra, which means on behalf of the Lord, on behalf of the church, from the seat, is in fact the word of God and should be bound. So you, you have that. You, you have those who believe in the miraculous, the uh, supernatural revelation still today that people receive the words of God and they give things and, and they say, well, I've been enlightened. God spoke to me. God delivered this or God put this on my heart. Those kind of phrases a lot of times are used by our religious friends to, uh, to talk about later day revelation. And there's just no need for it. There's no need for it. And the reason is, what I've already conveyed to you, that apart from the Bible, we need nothing else. So any other human-made creed or any other additional uh, revelation is unnecessary because nothing needs to be added to God. 
Nothing needs to be taken away. I, I would sure hope nobody would even make that argument. Something needs to be edited. God does not need to be edited today. And so modern revelation is unnecessary and unneeded. Look at 1 Corinthians 13.10. By the way, if you look on your handout, that verse is wrong in that little blurb. And I put verse 14 for some reason. But it's verse 10. There, the, When the perfect has come, all those things which are miraculous are no longer needed. We don't need them anymore. And you can argue that and talk about that. And, and you look at the purposes and what the modern revelations might do uh, for us today. I appreciate y'all's kind attention. Look in the back of your handout. There's a couple of points there uh, that is made there. But I, the one point that I did not make on the back is this. If the Word of God gives us all that we need as Christians, shouldn't we be studying it more? If that's how God communicates to us, shouldn't we be letting God talk to us more so our relationship will be done? We do. I know I need it. I know I want God to talk to me more. So I would encourage you all, let's, let's look, open up our Bibles, find a, a study regimen to let God communicate, talk to us, teach us what we need every day. Appreciate it. Y'all have a good day.